Do you know the one about the pepperoni and the seagulls and the posh Canadian hotel? Well, you're about to. So it begins with a guy named Nick Burchell, who about 17, 18 years ago um, was staying at a place called the Fairmount Empress Hotel in British Columbia. And he was there for a very specific reason. He actually lived in the eastern part of Canada in Halifax. And he was bringing with him a very special package. He was reconnecting with some old Navy buddies of his. And in this small suitcase that he was carrying was pounds of a specific kind of pepperoni. Brothers, TNT, literally it comes in sticks like dynamite, pepperoni, that his Navy buddies loved, but they couldn't get in the western part of Canada. And so he brought it to his nice hotel room in the posh hotel, and he encountered a problem, which is that he was concerned that it was going to be too warm in the hotel room. And it was kind of cool outside, so he thought, you know what, I don't want my uh, brother's TNT pepperoni to spoil. So what I'm going to do is lay it out in my hotel room, he thought, and he's going to open up the window, and as I go out for the rest of the afternoon, it will stay nice and cool. That was the plan. He got home three hours later to his hotel room, seeing a sight that he had no expectation for. Seagulls. And not a few seagulls, 30 or 40 seagulls, all as high as you can be on spiced meats, <laughs> flying around the room crazily. And Nick's entrance into the room didn't make anything any better. They all started to panic. They all started to go nuts. And they all, at the same time, headed towards this very small window that over a series of hours they had come inside. And they couldn't all get out at once. And so just imagine this room. Like the drapes are torn and the lamps are kicked over and there is seagull crap, literal seagull crap everywhere. And eventually most of the seagulls find their way out. But there are two really recalcitrant ones that do not. And Nick, in a beautiful sense of Canadian understatement, says, and now I'm beginning to really lose my temper. (laughs) And so he does the thing that he think will help the situation. He takes off one of his shoes and he throws it at one of the seagulls. And meanwhile, down on the ground floor below, outside the hotel, people have heard this squawking and this problem coming from four or five flights up above. And people have gathered around and they see this seagull fly out and the shoe fly out simultaneously. <laughs> and there's this one final seagull who is not leaving who literally Nick is chasing around the room with pepperoni hanging out of its mouth or beak or whatever you call it. And so he decides he is going to get one of the really nice plush uh, hotel towels and he's going to lunge and jump at the seagull and he captures it. And he heaves out of the window the seagull in the towel, and it drops right down into the middle. Remember I said this is British Columbia, this high British tea that is happening (laughs) right outside the hotel. Thunk. (laughs) And this is the real. You can look it up. As the baseball announcer once said, you can look it up. The real honest-to-God story of how Nick Burchill was banned for life from the Fairmount Empress Hotel (laughs) in British Columbia. 
I love this story. I love its unpredictability. The fact that, you know, life is really off the map, off the predictable plan in this story. And it brings me to this final message that we're doing here, as we've done for the last six weeks at Wellsprings, for this Words That Work series about teachings that can help guide us and direct and encourage our spiritual growth. And you may have seen uh, the phrase that I'm working with this morning in a number of different forms. I think I counted 10 or 15 of them. This is my favorite. Relax, cat. <laughs> Nothing is under control. And by the way, you can see in the other versions of this, this kind of Buddhistish monk sitting there and looking all Buddhistish and peaceful. I like the cat a lot better. <laughs> it is just stretched out. Now, one of the reasons I like this teaching, actually, I love this teaching, so I saved it for last, is that it serves as a corrective to another teaching sometimes I will see <clears throat> regularly on Facebook. Relax, everything is in his, H-I-S, control. A version of the divine that doesn't really work for me. Or the idea that relax, everything is going according to plan. I think this fails a number of really important tests of mature spirituality. One is this. We live in a world of absolutely imperfect information, right? It has always been true about being human. And in the information age, that is more true than it ever has been before. And it is only accelerating. So good luck, my friends, if you think you are going to get ahead of having all the information you think you need in order to live our lives just perfectly. This kind of hypervigilance is a crazy-making thing. And it also costs There is actual research that shows the more that we think things are exactly as they should be, the more that we think things are operating according to a plan, divine or otherwise, the less we are likely to get involved in seeking to alleviate the suffering of our world. As the baseball announcer says, you can look it up, folks. It actually ends up disempowering us, disempowering other people. And justifying someone else's suffering. They're suffering according to plan. I don't have to do anything. I can be a quote-unquote innocent bystander. Which leads to the second point, why I like relax, nothing is under control. I think saying to people, especially those people who are actively suffering and struggling, it's all going according to plan, actually ends up failing the most important test we have as human beings, which is the test of cruelty or kindness. Sometimes people will come and talk to me. You know, they want to relate in a wholesome, healing, happy, real way, meaningful way with people in their life who are struggling. And they'll say, you know, run through some scenarios. Could we imagine, could you imagine saying to the parents of someone who's just lost a child? It's all according to plan. Imagine saying to a person who's just been sexually assaulted, it's all going according to plan. To someone who has just gotten their own or a beloved one in their life, diagnosis of stage four cancer, and they have three months to live. It's all going according to God's will, a plan. I think it fails the cruelty test very powerfully. And finally, Believing that, 
you know, our own control or someone else's control is going to take care of it is the simple, is the simplest way to actually make life more unmanageable, <laughs> to make life spin out of control. Um, I don't get up at 4.30 in the morning unless I have to catch a flight or unless I've stayed up all night, which doesn't happen very much anymore, or something has gone really wrong, which is another way to say I did not get up to watch the royal wedding live. I know some of you did. And actually, the parts that I've seen have been amazing, you know, actually more than the plan of what I thought it was going to look like. And one of the footnotes of this past week, perhaps if you've been paying attention to some of the things at the royal wedding, involves uh, Meghan Markle, I want to get this title right, who is now the Duchess of Sussex, um, involves her father, who got some really cruddy advice to manage his persona in the weeks leading up to the wedding. And so you see these really controlled, fake-looking photos, and they were revealed to be fake, of him reading like British history (laughs) to make himself look good. I don't bring this up to mock him. I actually think it is a sad example of what happens when we try to control the narrative of our lives, that we think we have to look a certain way. Instead of just, as I hope the Duchess of Sussex's father would have been this past week and these past couple months, uh, it would have been surreal enough just to be the father of the bride at a royal wedding. Like, isn't that enough? So why relax? Why relax? Nothing is under control. Why not, as might be a legitimate answer, why not freak the hell out? (laughs) Nothing is under control. (laughs) I actually think that when we learn to relax in and with the basic uncontrollability of this life, it actually means we find that we're not without resources. It actually is the surest way to find life-giving resources. It helps us rethink how we think about power. So often the way we conceptualize power in this culture is about power over, power against, power for, power to, or power underneath instead of opening up to a truly life-giving power, power with. Reverend Lee and I have talked about this from this pulpit before, that power with connects us with each other in this life and with resources that are perhaps even beyond our most wild imagining. In the most famous song, the most famous story about grace in the Western literature and song is Amazing Grace, which is a story about finding ourselves off the map, off the plan of our lives, and because of that, actually becoming more whole, more human, and more just. As someone who has experienced grace in life-transforming ways, myself, I can testify to the fact that grace is always wild, and thank God it is. And not thank God in the sky boss kind of thing. That doesn't do anything for me. Uh, one of our great theologians of the past century, a guy named Charles Hartshorn, wrote a wonderful little book with an even more wonderful title in many ways called Omnipotence and Other Theological Mistakes. <laughs> it's trying to point us to something beyond the planning God or the controlling God into what's called process theology, which I got to tell you is really dry and really boring to read, but really wonderful to live. <laughs> The process theology says this divine is all a part of us and we are a part of it and we are not separate from life. And there is this divine dance of energy of which we are a part and we can experience this as a powerful sense of presence that we are always connected. For many of us, this has been, myself included, a life-saving message to receive. 
especially those of us who walk a recovery path. It's not exclusive to those of us on a recovery path, but it helps, I have to tell you. We've learned from experience, Kathy pointed at this in her beautiful opening to the service today, the more we try to control events, the more we try to control what happens within us, the more we try to control our feelings, the more we try to control what happens around us, the more we try to control other people, the more powerless and alone and without resources we felt. And like life under any dictatorial regime, we just felt miserable and scared. But actually relinquishing some control, at least I find, actually doesn't lead to powerlessness at all. It leads to discovering your own heart. What you rest your heart upon, what we rest our hearts upon, your values, knowing those values, the opportunity, the invitation every day to live a life aligned with those values. And through that, the power of real relationship with other people actually connected, whatever kind of face we are wearing, whatever the state of our hearts, full or broken or full and broken simultaneously. And it means embracing our imperfections, our mistakes. I screw this up all the time. I mean, I screwed this up just last Thursday. (laughs) My wife was having a real tough day at work. She's a journalist. There's a lot of deadlines. There's a lot of stress. And she called me just wanting to kind of share how her day was going. And she started to share information that went like right over my head. And I could start to feel my fear gather in my stomach because I had no idea of the right way to respond and fix it all and make it all better. And so I started giving advice, which is just a terrible thing to do. I know not to do this. And I could feel the conversation sliding off the rails. And it was all because I was being just such an anxious jerk. And I've got a lot of experience with working the mistakes that come from me being an anxious jerk. And so I could recorrect. And I tried to reground into some wisdom that I've shared with all of you here before, and I'm offering a little addition to it today. It's three three word sentences and a fourth today that really helped me kind of come back to what I trusted. I don't know. I am sorry. And I love you. And by the way, you might really care about the people you work with, but if you say these three three word sentences in the end with I love you, it actually might create more difficulty <laughs> than it helps. And so maybe a way to say that is simply, I am here. I am here. Maybe if you notice in this coming week or coming weeks or whenever it happens, you get into a little scrape with someone you care about and that controlling thing starts to come up and you want to take all their pain away and you end up just making it worse, maybe you can come back to the simplicity of this and allow it to open up space between you and the person you care about. It means embracing, it means embracing a lot of vulnerability. It also means trusting what was for me the by far the best part of the royal wedding yesterday. I know many of you felt the same way. Bishop Curry's sermon on trusting love, not sentimental love, but trusting transformative love, a mature love, and even perhaps being able to relax into it. And by relax, I don't mean demanding serenity now. (laughs) I mean relaxing as in easing up, releasing the tightness of our clinging grip that creates suffering for ourselves and other people. We are all going to make mistakes. 
and maybe we can add something to that awareness as well too, we all can know it's okay to make those mistakes. It actually makes us most beautifully and perfectly fully human. And just as Kathy talked about this morning, actually invites us to show up just as we are. And actually, I'd encourage you, uh, please don't trust the people who tell you they never make mistakes. The people who tell you they know exactly what they're doing all the time because they don't. People most often speak in absolutes when they are the most anxious about their lives and most unwilling to admit it. A number of years ago, many, many years ago, like over 20 years ago, uh, I attended, and this is like seven or eight years before I myself got sober, I attended a recovery celebration for someone I knew. Someone I don't see much anymore, but held them in high esteem. They're a good person. Um, and it was really meaningful up until something happened. Uh, as part of this recovery celebration, they played a song that talked about making mistakes, or actually didn't. They talked about lessons learned, <laughs> and that part I loved. But the song had this refrain, there are no mistakes, just lessons learned. And I don't know, that really rubbed me the wrong way. And actually for years I used it as an excuse not to get sober, but that's on me, that's not on them. (laughs) But I would like to say there are mistakes and there are lessons learned. That's how the most profound changing of our hearts occurs, by admitting it and releasing that desire to control. I heard a beautiful expression of this really recently from this podcast. I have been listening to about 95% of the time only the Mountain Goats for the last eight months of my life. The Mountain Goats has been a series of bands, not just one, and it's the guy on my right, your left, the guy without the beard. That's John Darnielle, who's the kind of thriving life force behind the Mountain Goats. And this podcast is about walking through one of their uh, well, quote-unquote famous albums. Not a lot of people know about the Mountain Goats, but there is a passionate, devoted fan base, and I am absolutely one of those people. And it was the last in the season of the series of this podcast. And the host was talking about coming to the end of things and reflecting back on how our life has been. And he said, you know what, I, the host did, I, I believe that, you know, I, I can look back and, and really totally accept everything that has happened to me, even the difficult things, and I wouldn't change a thing because it helped me arrive here. And John, in his way, says, yes, but, but, and it's an important but, the people who I hurt, who did not deserve it. John had a traumatic upbringing. In his early 20s, he was addicted to some very destructive drugs. And he said he was not the nicest person back then. He said, I would go back and change that even if it took away who I am now. In John's particular way, I love this sentence, and it'll stay with me for a long time. The people I hurt, I would, if I could, unhurt. He doesn't say that from guilt. He actually says that from his own affirmation of his moral self and center. I think he's talking about what we find on the other side of our desire to control or to say it's all happening according to plan. That there is a profound, wide love that we recognize we are a part of. And perhaps even a great humor that we get to participate in, which brings me all the way back to Nick Burchell and the fancy hotel. 
He thought after 17 or 18 years, it was time to make an amends and to offer an apology. And so he wrote to the hotel and he talked about what had happened. And yes, this is truly him telling the hotel staff the story of the seagulls and everything that I opened the message with today. And as you can see, they are crying in tears. And his lifetime ban has been lifted. (laughs) This stuff happens. In an uncertain world where control is illusion, where life happens off the map of our plans all the time, and actually that's where the best life is. Where control is not really helpful and often harmful, perhaps we can turn to something else more powerful, which is trust. Trusting the basic good orientation of our own hearts and perhaps even wish for something that right now, especially as fractured as the world feels, may feel like a distant hope, but to hold it as a hope is still so powerful. It is the most profound universalist hope of reconciliation, of allowing what has been fractured to grow back together. Especially when we react out of fear of life beyond control, However it is, my friends, that you might hold this hope, this universalist hope in your hearts today for reconciliation where there is brokenness. May you do so. May we all do so. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Divine that exists beyond our thought categories and our control, life that isn't really categorizable, And still invites us over and over again. See things as they are. Beyond the ideas. Beyond the thoughts about how life is. Into the not really hidden. And yet sometimes hidden from view. Holy heart of each of our lives. Because here is life. Beyond any plan. Beating with the full heart of this day. Beating just as the heart beats in all of our chests. This basic rhythm, this basic pulse, we can trust it, we can turn to it, we can admit what we don't know. We can offer apology or receive it when it is offered genuinely. And we can return again to that sense of here-ness and now-ness and love that reminds us it has always been here. And we are always a part of, not apart from. Amen.